you will, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We are going to be looking at a very much of a bird's eye view of, of this text today, so um, I hope that you, you, you try to set your minds that way, but I think we'll be helped. Once you find your way there, please stand as we show reverence to the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come to you today pleading for grace and mercy that you have promised and God that you have given. God, we, we plead again for understanding that you will be gracious enough to give us understanding from your word. God, your word gives life. And we are so thankful for how you have shown that love to us. Father, we, we want to glorify you above all. We want to be obedient in your word. God, help us to worship through the preaching of your word today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, like I said, this is going to be a bird's eye view of this text. And, um, and you know, this, this disclaimer usually gets, gets said a lot when we're talking about God's word. Because, I mean, it is true. Wow, there we go. Hey, it, it is what it is. Um, so, it, it is true that we could spend quite a bit of time here uh, in these, these few verses. Um, I mean, that there, if, you, if you go to christianbooks.com or if you are a Logos member, you could go on there and just search and countless books you would find on particular truths that are found in this text. I mean, whole books that are there. You know, and we can get into, we'll say, into the depths of Ephesians 2. But sometimes when we get into the depths, we may can miss 
the overall intention of the text. I'm not saying don't get into the depths. I'm saying today we're not, okay? Uh, But Paul starts off with, he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He is talking about our state prior to Christ, prior to salvation. And upon preparing for uh, teaching Ephesians 2, uh, as a lot of times I will, I, I, I go to, to, to dead men. I encourage you to read dead men that finished well. Um, usually you are very much helped there. Um, but I, I went to Spurgeon. And uh, it's when, when you're preparing to preach, it can be helpful, but also it can be discouraging when you go to Spurgeon because you see how incompetent you are when you're dealing with the text. But I, I, I don't want to try to preach his sermon today because we know that wouldn't end well. Uh, I don't want to try to even give you quite a bit, but I do. he did make an illustration that I thought was very, very interesting about the, uh, the, the first part here, about us being dead in our trespasses and sins. And what he does is he, he brings about three individuals that were dead in Scripture. They were dead. One was the young girl that, that Jesus goes up into the room and visits. There was the widow's son who was being carried out. And then there was Lazarus. All three of these have two things in common. All three of these had experienced that which was coming for all of us. That is death. They have all experienced that. They were in different stages, and that is what Spurgeon tries to highlight there. They were in different stages of death. The young girl had just died. She had not been dead, but but very long. And, And she goes and... And he makes the illustration of how she looks and, and, and all his, his craftiness with the, the, the English language. He, he describes that in a way that, that she is, is just beginning. She has just died. And he, he parallels that to, to Christians who are, not Christians, I'm sorry, to uh, people who are, are sinful by nature but, but don't necessarily understand all of that that how that sin affects them they are sinful very true but they don't necessarily understand and and when I say they don't understand we wouldn't either we see them maybe as good good people we see them as good people and we we question them maybe we don't know them well and we say you know I wonder if that person knows Christ because of how good they are and how how they you know they're they're young or 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 they're just good good good-natured people but then he goes to, to the next individual was the widow's son. He is actually had been dead for a little bit and was being carried out for burial. And he parallels this to being those who have begun a public display of sin. Because he, this one has been brought out into public. The, the, the young girl was still up in the room. This one has been just brought out into public. So these are ones who have begun this. Maybe they're a young teenager, college age, or maybe they they just have 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 started to display public sin. But then he goes to Lazarus. Lazarus has been dead for days. Lazarus has been placed in the tomb. Lazarus has, as Scripture tells us, has begun to stink. Decay has set in. 
And he parallels Lazarus with those who have lived a sinful life for many, many years. Perhaps they're older. Perhaps they are some that have just been so overtaken with sin that there just seems to be no hope. So that's the one thing that each one of these have in common, is they have all died. They are all just as dead. The young girl is just as dead as Lazarus. But the second thing that they all have in common is that they come into contact with one who gives life. Jesus comes to each of them. Jesus comes and by His words they come to life. And not just partial life. It's not like they are in a coma or they're in some kind of comatose state. No, they are alive. Stand up and praise Him. Stand up and He says, one, get them something to eat. They are very much alive. So they, they, they have been, Jesus has brought Himself into their presence and He has resurrected them from, from the dead. So Spurgeon uses that to help describe us being dead in our trespasses and sins. This is universal. This is universal to all mankind. This is something that we inherited from Adam. All are dead. All are dead. They're dead in their trespasses and sin. They, these trespasses and sin are those that which make them dead. We have sinned against a holy God. That's what happened with Adam. He sinned against a holy God. And the promise that God told him was that if you eat of this fruit, you will what? You will surely die. That was the result. And that is what we all deal with. Is, is that. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So, so Paul is telling the Ephesians here of their state prior to Christ. In which you once walked following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. This, this, that which you once walked. We, we see this, this enslavement. This imagery of enslavement following this walking there. Who are we following? Who are we enslaved to? We're enslaved to sin. We're following Satan. We're enslaved to the tyranny that the Lord has allowed there. We're enslaved. Enslavement is something that you can't rescue yourself from. You have to be redeemed from that. We see a good picture of that. With Gomer and Hosea. Being redeemed from that. So we are slaved to our sins. He says this is how you walked. You walked following the course of this world. For us to understand the course of this world. We have to go back and think about the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus talks about being salt of the, uh, of, of the earth. He's talking about salt in a, in a preserving way. When you preserve meat with salt, it, it slows down decay. What Jesus is establishing there is a worldview. 
is that the world is ever dying. It is ever heading towards destruction. So, we are following that course. We are following the course at which we are enslaved. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That word sons there should remind us of parenthood. What did Jesus tell the Pharisees? He says, you are acting in accordance with, I'm paraphrasing, you're acting in accordance with your father, the devil. We see parenthood there. At work in sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. So when Paul says from whom all, we all once lived the passions of our flesh. That's pretty well a universal understanding it's everybody that's all of mankind now this is not if you are saved here this is not to to build you up in a way that that you look at the world through eyes of of that that you you see yourself as better if anything this should this should spur on compassion in your lives this should spur on compassion it should temper your evangelism with compassion because you understand that the people that are you are trying to share the message the good news of the gospel with are in the same state of that which you once were it should temper your evangelism we understand that we were all this way we followed the passions of our flesh we carried out the desires of our body and our mind you notice how Paul uses body and mind there. It's a totality. This, this should, we should, verses should be coming to our mind of where Scripture talks about our mind needing to be renewed. Our bodies needing to be reborn. It's this. Our minds, our bodies are so saturated with sin prior to salvation that we can't, we can't have a thought outside of sin's influence. You say, well, that's kind of bold. That's kind of, you know, I don't feel like I'm that way. It is. Outside of, of the salvation of Christ, prior to that, our, sins are, our minds are so saturated with sin that, that we, we act accordingly. But then there's verse 4. But God. So we are in this state of helplessness. We are in this state of death. But God. Just like those that we mentioned earlier. They would have continued in that state. But God. But God comes. Here Paul says, but God, being rich in mercy. Being rich in mercy. Uh, if you'll notice, Paul uses a lot, of, a lot of words here to describe characteristics of God. He says, God being rich in mercy. We see that, that word to help us to understand that as, a, as an abundance. 
a wealth, a wealth of which doesn't run dry. He is rich in mercy. How thankful should we be that He is rich in mercy. That His mercy didn't run out before it got to us. There's a lot of people that have come and gone prior to us. How thankful should we be that He is rich in mercy. His mercy is infinite. His mercy is eternal. He's rich in mercy. The richness of His mercy is an outpouring of His great love. He says, because of His great love. That's why I asked JT to read that verse in Deuteronomy. If you were listening, you see that it was not anything about the Jews that God chose them. It was out of His love. They had nothing to offer, as we do not. There's nothing about us that we have to offer that God says, you know what? I I need to save him because he has this. He's good at this, so I I need to make sure that, that I do a particular work in his life. No, we have nothing to offer. But out of his love, he calls us to himself. So it is out of because of his great love with which he loved us. Understand that, please. If you are a Christian here today, understand who loves you. You know, that word love gets thrown around pretty flippantly. When we understand that word biblically, we understand that word to have action tied to it. He loves us. He loves us and He demonstrated that love through His grace and mercy and calling us out of that that state that we were in. Alive together with Christ. We were dead in our trespasses. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, He made us alive together with Christ. We are alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with Him and seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So you were dead in your trespasses and sins and not only did He bring you to life, but He seats you with Christ. You didn't earn that. He seats you. He adopts you into His family. He makes you one with Him. He bestows all of His riches and mercies on you. He gives you His Spirit. That in itself, if we rightly understand who God is, that in in itself should humble us greatly. He gives us His Spirit. How does his, why, why is that beneficial? His Spirit helps us to understand His Word. His Spirit helps us to be obedient to it. You say, why is that such a big deal? Because there is nothing good outside of God. He is goodness. He is holiness. He is wisdom. He is love. He is kindness. He is mercy. 
Without Him, we, know that we don't know those things. Those things can only come from one person. One deity. It's God. Jesus. So He has bestowed that upon us. He has raised us up with Him. And seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace. There again, you see that description. Immeasurable riches of His grace. If you'll notice there, He does all these things, and then verse 7 starts off with, so that, so that in the coming ages, He might show. In the coming ages, He might show. He is going to display His glory for all to see. We as Christians have a hope. We have a hope in that we get to experience that glory forever. No matter how hard the world may get. No matter how hard your life may get. No matter how difficult things are. This life is but a season. And our hope is that which is to come. We look to that hope. That hope helps us to live. That's how we make it through these difficult times. Is we look to that hope. A phrase that I will use quite, quite often in, in just in regular conversation with, with people is, every day that passes, we're one day closer. One day closer. When we don't have to deal with sin... We don't have to deal with death. We don't have to deal with disease. We don't have to deal with loss. We don't have to deal with pains, struggles, all those things. We get to experience the glory of the Lord forever. These riches that are immeasurable, that's what we get to experience. He did that so that He could show His glory. His grace and kindness towards us in, in Christ Jesus. His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus makes me think of the fact that Jesus was always the plan. God didn't react to sin. Jesus was always the plan. Jesus was always the one who was to come and die the death that was meant for us and pay for our sin. That was always the plan. Adam didn't change anything <laughs> except for the fact that sin enters the world through that. But the plan was always in place. That's what I mean by Adam didn't change anything. This was decreed. He tells us that later. He says God prepared beforehand. So Jesus was always the plan. In verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. A faith that is given to us. A faith that, that we are helped in. A faith that we put in one who can save us. You know, when we talk about putting our faith and, and trust in Jesus, what we're saying there is we're saying that there is no one else that can provide that of which we need. Our greatest need, 
humankind's greatest need is salvation. You can be provided with all the food. You can be provided with all the wealth. You can be provided with all those things. And those things burn up. Those things do nothing but prolong the inevitable. The, where we are greatly in need are to be made one again with the Father. It's when, when Paul talks about peace, he talks about peace to you. He's talking about the peace that we have with God now as Christians. That peace that has been provided for us through Christ. This peace that we are given, it is a gift. He says that we are saved through, by grace through faith. This is not your own doing. This not your own doing should remove all arrogance. It should remove all arrogance from our gospel presentations. It should remove all arrogance from our discipleship. It should remove all arrogance from our preaching. Because none of the things that we are are because of us. We boast in only one, and that's Jesus. If Lazarus could have resurrected himself, he would have had means to boast. But he could not. He lived only because of Jesus. We live only because of Jesus. This is a gift of God. Gifts are not earned, they're given. Wages are earned. The Bible tells us that our wages are death. Gifts are given. Not as a result of works. You know, you've got to think about Ephesus. When, when you're thinking about this, Ephesus was a large, very large city. It rivaled those of, such as Alexandria. A lot of commerce come in and out of Ephesus so therein. You have to initially go to the fact that, that these possibly were very wealthy people. Or at least they were in, in relationship with very wealthy people. These were people that could get things done. These were people who were skilled in trade. These were people that could muster up wealth and, and, a, and a presentation of, of great power. Paul takes all of that away with, with salvation. He takes all of that away. And he says, not a result of works. This is nothing that we can do. This is a gift. So that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Do you see how much of this is directed towards Jesus? You see how much of this is to glorify him? We are his workmanship. This is a gift from him to us. So that he may display his immeasurable riches. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. If you're wondering what you are to do as a Christian... There's part of it. We are created for good works. We always turn to goodness. 
When there is decision, we have to ask ourselves, what is good? That is what we should do. How do we find out what is good? Through His Word. His Word is all we need in, in how to operate. Through good works, which God prepared beforehand. These good works were done by Jesus. These good works were performed by Him on the cross so that we could have salvation. And so that we should do what the last part of our text tells us. That we should walk in them. You know, at the first part of our text, it talks about us walking. It talks about us walking, following the course of this world. Well, once salvation comes and once rebirth happens, we walk in accordance with His Word. Prior to salvation, we walk in following the world. Post-salvation, we walk in following His Word. His Word is such a great help to us. And I hope that you hold it dear. So why Ephesians 2 today? Why, why do we look at this today and, and, and why should we be so much helped by this? It's because, like I said earlier, Ephesians 2 should, should affect our evangelism. It should also help us to have patience with those that we are trying to minister to. Because if they are not believers, they are still in that state of sin. They are still in that state of enslavement. Of that which we once were. We have to show them patience. We have to show them kindness. We have to show them love. If there's anybody that should be able to show love, it should be the Christian. Because only the Christian has experienced true kindness. Only the Christian has experienced true grace and mercy. Only the Christian has experienced this great love. Are you showing love and grace and mercy every day? We sh that should be our, our, our nature now. Our nature has been changed. We are new in Him. We should be showing that love. We should be walking in that love. It should drive us. Knowing that our hope is, is, is guaranteed. That should give you peace today. The one that can call Lazarus out of the grave is the very one that walks with you. It is the very one that keeps you. How comforting is that? Paul has just told us that our salvation is not by works. We can't achieve it. If we can't achieve it, we definitely can't hold on to it. He keeps us. And if there's no one else that we should desire to keep us than Jesus. Because He has all power, all authority, all sovereignty. He controls everything. He holds all of us in His hand. So I hope today that you are drawn to compassion for the world. 
because of what has been done for you. What has been done for me. You know, we stand behind this pulpit as dead and dying men speaking to dying men. So, live of that which you have been called to. Love like He loves. Let's thank the Lord for His goodness. As we sing in a little bit, we're actually going to sing of the goodness of God. I hope that reminds you of the goodness that we have experienced. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank You for the Gospel. The Gospel tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But Jesus came lived a life that we couldn't live, died a death that was meant for us, was resurrected so that we can be resurrected, and ascended to your right hand, waiting to come get his bride. Dear Father, we're so thankful that you have called us to yourself. God, we're so thankful that you give us the truths of your word. You're so good to us. You're so rich in mercy and grace. God, we love you. Help us to sing well. Help us to love well. Help us to worship well. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.